Good morning, Bethel. It is so good to have this chance to get into God's Word together today. Before we jump into our sermon, though, I want to take a couple minutes for us just to have a little bit of an update about a really exciting and significant thing we are walking through as a church. You may recall a few weeks ago, we shared the announcement that we as a church are, uh, after much prayer, uh, two years actually, of praying amongst our elders team, uh, feeling the Lord leading us is now is the time to step out in faith to plant a church in southwest Middlesex. That's specifically looking at the communities of Glencoe, Melbourne, Appen, and, and kind of the surrounding area there. We are so excited about what God is already doing and what is in store here. You know, and every single week, if you walk into this building here in the hallway, the, the lobby as you walk in, you see it hanging from the ceiling or, or at the beginning of all of our services or you pop onto the website, you see this statement. We exist to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. And this is not just a, you know, cliche phrase or the thing we have to throw up on the wall. This really is at the heart of everything we do here as a church. We, we love Jesus. He has changed our lives and, and we want to help others come to know and meet him the way we have so that their lives can be changed too. We are here not just to build giant programs or buildings or, or things like that, but rather to equip men and women, young and old, to help others come to know Jesus the way they have and then help them help others to come to know Jesus the way they have to make disciples who make disciples. And God has been stirring this, this passion, vision, burden amongst our leaders as we have been praying for our whole church, for, for you as we have been praying for the community we find ourselves placed in, as we look around us and see the many rural communities around us and the people that make up those rural communities. God's been stirring a burden to help reach them, to help make disciples who make disciples. And, and you know what the best way to help a local community come to know Jesus is? It's by having a local church in the local community. The best way to, to impact a community is by having a local church in that community. A gathering of people who love Jesus and who love to help others come to know and to love Jesus. To reach the people around them and to invite them to come out. Hey, come with me to, to church. Hey, it's here in town. And so we are starting, Lord willing, Southwest Middlesex. Uh, Bethel and Southwest Middlesex because, well, first of all, we've got a group from our congregation right now that already reside there. And so we want to come alongside them. We want to support them in reaching out into their local community. And as we have prayed and prayed and prayed, we are excited about what God is doing there and we want to unite with them. But we also are having open hands and saying, okay, Lord, what else might you have in the future? And, and we don't know where God's going to go, but maybe he's going to bring some other of these communities around us that, that we can reach out into as well and help continue to make the light of Jesus shine that much brighter in these communities. As we step towards this, there are three really significant things coming up here or we're right in the midst of 
that you need to be aware of, that we want to share with you. The first is this. Right now and over the last number of weeks, and we've taken time to pray about this, we are in the midst of working towards hiring our pastor who's going to lead this church plant. And so I want to ask you to pray with us and pray for us in this. We're engaging with a number of candidates, and we're just really seeking the Lord in this, and we would love to have you pray. The second thing is, for the month of May, so coming up here very soon, we are going to have a chance as the whole church to rally together and to be a part of this. We are doing a special offering during the month of May. And our goal is $50,000 to be raised through this special offering. Now that's over and above our regular tithes and offerings that we give on a regular basis as part of our commitment to a local church that we're in. So over and above our regular givings, we are praying that God would raise up $50,000 to help with making this church plant get launched. Now, you probably realize that the expenses for a church plant like this, when it comes to staffing it and our pastor, when it comes to the facilities that we're going to need to rent, uh, the expenses for equipment we're going to need to get, and the other just ministry expenses we'll have, will end up being a lot more than 50000 So this is going to be part of coming alongside money we already have in our future fund saved for endeavors like this as a church, and then also funding through our denomination, which helps support church plants as well. And so all of that together is going to help really be the seed money to launch this. And so we're going to have exciting time over this next month to hear stories and vision and all about opportunities of how you can invest in this. So I want to begin to ask you right now, as you look ahead to the month of May, would you start praying already? God, what might you have have me, what might you have my family do to be a part of financially helping to make disciples and make disciples in Southwest Middlesex? And then thirdly, finally, as we really have May being a big rallying month for us in this, we're going to be kicking it off with a night of prayer that I want to ask you to mark on your calendars and would love to have you join us. Whether you are from the Southwest Middlesex community or not, whether you are going to be physically a part of that church plant or not, this is something we are all doing as a church. And so we want to all rally together in prayer. And so it's going to be on May 3rd, that's a Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, here at the church in Strathroy, where we're going to together unite to seek the Lord for what he has in store in this church plant. So please mark that on your calendars. We would love to have you join us for that. So now, this morning, as we turn into God's Word, uh, we are diving back into this amazing and beautiful section of God's Scriptures called the book of Joshua. Many of you will recall, but maybe you have just joined with us this morning or in the last couple weeks, from the beginning of the new year through till just before Easter, we were journeying through the first half of this book, seeing God do some amazing and incredible things and learning so much from it. We took a little pause to dive into Easter and and prepare our hearts and celebrate the journey of hope as Jesus came and remembering his death and resurrection. And now over these next seven weeks, we are going to return back into the book of Joshua and Lord willing, we're going to finish off the, the second half of this book. Today, what I would really like to do is kind of bring a bit of a a recap for us from the first half that we went through, the first 11 chapters, to help us kind of remember back to all the things that we learned and also to catch us up in case you missed some of these weeks. Now, remember, you can always pop on to our website, check out all those sermons if you want to go back and dig into any of them. But today, we're really going to recap and catch ourselves up and prepare for this second half of the journey. 
So the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua is the account of God using Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Okay, that's, that's it in a nutshell. It's, it's the accounting of God using Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. And this goes way back, okay, way back to the very founding of the nation of Israel and the father of the nation, Abram, who became Abraham, named, known as Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, we read this. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. <laughs> Try and wrap your tongue around that one. God promised Abram, God promised Abraham that he was going to make a covenant with him and that his family was going to actually get this very land. Abram at that moment was standing on this land, and God says, look all around, this is the land that I'm going to give to your descendants, but not quite yet. In fact, it's going to take a few hundred years, and, and God laid out this incredible plan of how it was all going to play out, and guess what? It worked out exactly as God said. It's mind-blowing, really, the way God moves history and kings and rulers and all kinds of things for his purposes. The people of Israel ended up in slavery in Egypt, as God said, exactly as what happened. They were there for 400 years, as God said would happen. At the end of the 400 years, God miraculously saves them out of slavery, as God said would happen. And they start on this trek towards the promised land, except their faith crashes except they, they veer away from the Lord. They forget about what he has done, even though they've seen God do so many amazing things, getting them out of slavery, walking through the Red Sea on dry ground with the waters parted on either side, rocks streaming out water. They just keep forgetting. They keep stumbling and fumbling and bumbling their way along with the Lord. And surely this is one of the big lessons that we saw in the first half of the book of Joshua. How quickly the people of Israel were prone to forget. How, how quickly, brothers and sisters, we are prone to forget God. How quickly we are prone to forget God. This is not because God is pulling away from us. This is not because God turns his back or puts up his hands to us that this happens. This is because of our broken hearts, because of our fallen flesh. The people of Israel, it starts when they send out spies. They're walking towards the promised land. They send out spies to kind of check it out. Twelve of them come back. Ten of the twelve give this horrible report, freaking out about how, how big the walls are and how strong and tough the people are. And, and it's like they've totally forgotten. It's, it's like they forgot that God was bigger than Pharaoh, that God was able to bring them out of slavery, that God was able to part the Red Sea. They forgot all of that. And now they're freaking out like, we're so small, they're going to be crushed. It's like grasshoppers. Here's the account of some of that. Caleb and Joshua were two of the spies that did not give in. And, and, and weren't overwhelmed. Then Caleb, it says, silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for 
We can certainly do it. Caleb's like, yes, God can do this. We can do this. We need to follow by faith. But the men who had gone up with him, the other 10, said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And the people did not listen to Caleb and Joshua. They listened to the 10. They were totally overwhelmed. They, they were prone to forget God, how quickly they forgot God, and it ended up meaning that entire generation except for two men, Caleb and Joshua, all died in the wilderness as they wandered around for 40 years until finally the next generation had come in and God was going to bring them into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And so Joshua leads them right at the beginning of the book to cross the Jordan in the midst of flood season. And guess what happens? The Jordan parts and they walk through on dry ground. The people come to this giant city right after they get across the river and they come to it. The walls are blocking the way. God brings the walls tumbling down, but, but one of their own forgets God one of their own, in the midst of seeing God do all of these things and knowing all that happened in the backstory, still goes and tries to grab onto some of the stuff that was never to be his and brings in through this heinous sin and turning his back upon God, brings up in the poison of sin upon the whole camp. It's, it's, it's destruction for everybody. It leaves all of them reeling as God brings his punishment against the sin of this guy named Achan. It even leads Joshua to, to call out and fall on his face, and he's crying out to God, and he says, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan? If you're just going to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. How, how quickly they're prone to forget. How quickly this guy named Achan is prone to forget that God is providing. How quickly Joshua is prone to forget. Man, I just wish we'd stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Why didn't you even bring us here, God? God is gracious. He exposes the sin of Achan. He rids it of his, from his people. And, and you would think at this point now, okay, okay, they, they've learned their lesson, Right? Right? You would think, hey, surely they figured this out. All their parents died. They kind of got that stuff out of line. They got back in line. They came. Achan got messed up. Okay, they're going to get back in line. And so they go off up into the wilderness, and they have this little prayer retreat where Joshua reads the whole law to them up in the mountains. And they have this amazing, like, okay, we got to remember who God is. we gotta, we got to fix our eyes upon God. And then right after they come down from the mountains, the very next thing that happens is this group of people come and, and Joshua's faced with this massive decision. Do I trust them or not? And do you know what Joshua does? Right after all of this has gone down and they've just reminded all the people, you need to remember God, you need to remember God, you remember God, and do you know who Joshua forgets to go to to ask for help? When he's faced with this quandary and these people coming and asking for a peace treaty, he's prone to forget. It says in Joshua chapter 9, the men of Israel sampled the provisions from these people, but they did not inquire of the Lord. And so then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. They did not inquire of the Lord. They had literally just gotten down from the mountains having a prayer retreat about how they were going to fix their eyes upon the Lord, and then they did not inquire of the Lord. The very next thing, 
man, this, this accounting here as we walk through the book of Joshua could so easily lead us to be like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you people? Why did you not realize that you need to come to God? Don't you see all the things that he's doing? And how you just keep forgetting? How easy it is for us to get that attitude, isn't it? Except we are just like the Israelites. We are just like these people. So quickly we are prone to forget, to forget God. This is such a powerful reoccurring theme in this book, and it reminds us to be careful and guard our own hearts. How, how quickly we can sit in this moment right now as you sit from home or as we unite together in person for church or, and we sing praises to God and we say, yes, I will follow you, Lord. Yes, I will commit to walk with you. Yes, I will go where you call me to go. Yes, I confess my sin. Yes, I just want to worship you and delight in you. And then by four o'clock this afternoon or by tomorrow morning or by Wednesday afternoon, we're right back into that sin that we said, oh, I'll never do that again. We, we are getting irritated and frustrated with our kids. We're getting tempted and lured into gossip or lust. We, we slump back into it for the umpteenth dozen time in our lives. Or, yes, I'll praise you. Yes, I'll trust you. You are in control of everything until we get the phone call from the doctor with that news that none of us want. But all of a sudden, it's like we totally forget that God is in control and anxiety just overcomes us. We cycle back into getting freaked out when something goes a little bit awry on our finances and it's like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to make it through this month now. And we totally forget all the months and all the years and all the decades that God has faithfully provided even when it seemed like it was tight, that he's gotten you to this point. Oh, but no, this time we are so quickly prone to forget. Friends, if there is some stuff, even right now, just spinning in your head and in your heart that just has you worked up, if there are struggles that just have you stuck in, if there is anxiety that is just overshadowing you in gloom, oh God, let us come and remember. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for how quickly we are prone to forget. Have mercy on us, O oh God. Have mercy. Here as well today, brother, sister, friend, our second lesson that we see coming out of this first half of Joshua, repeated over and over and over again as well in this half of the book, it is this. Build monuments to remember God's faithfulness. Build monuments to remember God's faithfulness. Put these monuments out to remind each of you, to remind your children and your grandchildren and their children and their children so that you do not forget the faithfulness of God. So next time it gets hard, you can look back and say, hey, look, God was faithful here. He'll help us with this now. This comes over and over again. The people walk across the Jordan. How do they walk across the Jordan? They walk across it on dry ground. Think about that. The river is raging. It is, it, is, um, it is springtime where it is as wide and high as it can get. God stops it in its tracks. 
And as soon as they begin to walk across, not only does God stop it, he dries up all the mud and they walk across on perfectly dry ground. And then God tells them to take a few stones out from the very center of the river and carry them out and put them in a pile on the other side. It says this in Joshua chapter 3. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead. Now the Jordan is in flood uh, is in flood all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge and the water from upstream stopped flowing. He says, grab the rocks from the middle, pull them out and put them on the side. And then he says this in Joshua chapter 4. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them. The flow of the river Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. And the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Get this. Any time. In the future, when you walk by, I want you to point out this monument of stones and tell yourself, tell your friend, tell your neighbor, tell your kid, tell your grandkid. This is to remind us of when God stopped the river and we walked across on dry ground. This is to remind us of when God moved so we remember his faithfulness after crossing the Jordan, but before they kind of move in. Joshua chapter 5, we we read this account where God stops all of his people before they go any further in the land, and he has all of the men get circumcised. Now, I'm not going to go into too much of the details on this. Here's the point, though. For 40 years, this next generation just wandered around in the wilderness, and they didn't have the sign reminding them of the covenant faithfulness of God. And so, Before they go any further, all of the men need to stop and personally take up the sign of God's faithfulness so that they don't forget. The walls of Jericho, they they now, after getting circumcised, come up to the walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho come tumbling down as they just walk around, trusting the Lord. He brings them tumbling down. God does the impossible, and after that victory, look at what it says. At the time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? There's a few reasons to it. One of the reasons, though, that we're going to see over and over again is so that the, the pile of rock that was Jericho before is something that they keep looking at and saying, hey, look what God did. Look what God did. Look what God did. After Achan is killed for his heinous sin, we see in Joshua chapter 7, a pile of stones is put upon him. After the city of Ai is defeated in Joshua chapter 8, and the king is killed, a pile of stones is put upon him. After probably the most like epic, crazy victory of them all in Joshua chapter 10, when God stops the sun in the sky and he brings like these laser-guided hailstones to take out the enemy armies. After that, these five kings, these five enemy kings are killed, thrown in the cave. And then guess what? A pile of rocks is put there. And do you know what it says after every one of these instances? It says this every single time, repeated over and over and over. The rocks remain to this day. Why do they keep saying that? Because he's saying, go look at the monument of rock. 
Go look at the pile of rock there. This one, this one, this one, this one. They are there. Go look to remind us of the faithfulness of God, to remember his majestic faithfulness, to be reminded of his promises so that we, we never forget that even though what we're going through right now seems totally overwhelming, do you remember what God did? Look at the rocks, look at the monuments, remember. Brothers, sisters, friends, so that past faithfulness can fuel your future faith. Now, make sure, make sure this is really important, don't get confused. This is not about some sort of like superstition, okay? This is not about making some kind of monument that in and of itself becomes a place of worship, this is not about making some idol or there's something sacred and special about that place. That's not what's going on here. What's going on rather is, is think of it like this is a place that is, is intended to be a mirror, okay? You go and you look in the mirror and you see the reflection, except rather than seeing the reflection of your face back in, when you look into this mirror, what you see a reflection back of is the hand of Almighty God at work. There's not something superstitious about this, but rather it's having something physical, tangible that you can go to and, and, and see that reminds you, that reflects for you to see with your own eyes. The hand of God was moving here. Let my faith be encouraged by God's past faithfulness. There are maybe things in, in your home, amongst your family, that you, that you need to do to, to make some monuments of God's faithfulness in your home. I, I don't know what that could look like. It could be really creative with your kids or your grandkids, but things where you can go and point to them and say, well, what's that, Dad? What's that, Grandma? That, and tell them the story of how God was faithful in your life. What does that look like for you? So that you have those remembrances in your home to remind yourself and to remind the next generations. As a church family, together. This is one of the major reasons why it is so, so good and important and valuable for us to unite together regularly, consistently to worship God. Because as we get together and as we hear each other sing, and as we pray together and hear the word preached and interact with one another, there is something about that that, that helps remind us coming into a place, the place is not sacred, but coming into a place where we unite together and fix our eyes and our hearts and our souls upon the Lord, remembering, recounting, being encouraged with his faithfulness that just spurs us on and stirs us up and that we need. Now, I, I know, I know COVID has changed so much, so much in our world, so much of our rhythm, so much of our lives, I know. But our reaction to that is not and should not be to say, okay, well, then I'm going to push away from this. Actually, what we need more than ever is to have these reminders, to come together, to unite together, to worship, to encourage one another, to fellowship, to pray. The world has changed. I know. 
But all that much more we need these times of remembrance to point us to the faithfulness of God together. All that much more we need to resolve. We need to fight against the comfort, even of our own living rooms and couches and pajamas, to spur each other on, to unite, to encourage one another. And then let me give us one final rich, profound nugget that we have seen again and again and again in the book of Joshua. So first, we have seen that we are prone to wander. Second, we have seen these recurring reminders that help us remember the faithfulness of God. Third, step out in faith. God is with you. We need to hear this, Bethel. We need to hear this, brother, sister. Step out in faith. Why? Because God is with you. Right at the outset as Joshua is preparing to step in to the massive shoes of Moses, the greatest leader that the people of God have ever had, God gives Joshua this encouragement. Have I not commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God actually in that first chapter says this four times to him. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Don't fear. Don't worry. Don't hold back. Why? Why was it because Joshua was some kind of like amazing leader and he's gone through this amazing leadership school under the tutelage of Moses? Was that what it is? Was it because Joshua has got really mighty armies and really big swords? Is that what it is? Because he's got the great strategic plan and he's really going to be able to put together this, this perfect war strategy to take all the land? Is that what it is? No. It's none of those things. It's because the Lord is with him. God says to Joshua, I will be with you. Don't fear. Don't worry. Step out in faith. Go. Because I am with you. I love after that epic battle, I already talked about, right, where the sun stands still and the hailstones come down. God leads Joshua into victory there and then Joshua brings all of his men over in victory, shows them they have won and then he says this to them, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Joshua passes on this encouragement to his people. And I I love how we see in this book, this account, how Joshua lives this out. Now, make no mistake, Joshua is not perfect. Like, we've already seen that, right? Joshua didn't do this all perfectly, but on so many examples, we see this dear brother who strives so beautifully to give an example to us of faith. An example, imperfect, absolutely, but a God-focused courage. When God told Joshua it was time to cross the Jordan River, what does Joshua do? Joshua 3.1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out uh, for Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. He doesn't wait. He doesn't waver. At the crack of dawn, when God says go, he goes. When they get to the giant walls of Jericho, 20 feet, 25 feet high, 20 feet thick, what does he do? 
Joshua chapter 6, verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and they marched out around the walls. After the atrocious sin that poisons the whole camp from Achan happens and God comes and tells him, I am going to show you who it is. You need to bring all the people out and you're just gonna, here's what you're gonna do. Out of the million people, I'm gonna show you who the one person that sinned is and Joshua, do you know what you need to do? Just roll a dice and just keep rolling dice and I will whittle it down to the one person. (laughs) The step of faith that Joshua has to do to trust the roll of a dice to find the one person out of a million. What does Joshua do? Joshua 7, 16. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. It goes on and on from there. God says, go up and take the city of Ai, Joshua. Joshua 8, 10. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men. He and the leaders of Israel marched before Ai. I love this. It is this incredible picture of faith, Bethel. This incredible challenge of faith. I am not going to procrastinate. I am not going to hesitate. I am not going to hold back and and wrestle in my own head. When God says go, I'm going to go. As soon as the morning cracks, As soon as the sun comes up over the edge of the horizon, it's go time because God is with us and it leads us into this beautiful promise for you and for me. Romans chapter eight. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Joshua was not the mighty, amazing savior of God's people. Joshua is not our mighty, amazing savior. Joshua was a man who looked to God, the savior. We have just come out of Easter celebrating the great savior, Jesus Christ. And God sent his son for you and for me. Now, if God sent his son to save you and he is for you, then what do you have to fear? What do you have to worry about? What do I have to to wonder? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do I know if God's for me? Man, he sent his son for you and I. And if he would send his son for us, what else is he going to hold back? God is so good. And so we must step out in faith. I don't know what that means for you. To take up the mantle of be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. The Lord is with you. If God is for us, who can be against us? What does it mean for you this week? Is it that neighbor, that friend, that coworker who you know is going through a hard time and you need to take that courageous step to say, Okay, I'm going to lean into this, God. I'm going to say with my own two lips to them, I'm going to pray for you this week. Is it taking that step of faith? Is it taking the step of faith to connect back up and get committed again to meeting together with the people of God? And it's going to push you out of some different, you know, comfort zones that you've gotten into, but to safely and carefully Come back to start to connect with the people of God in worship, to connect with brothers and sisters in small group. Is that what it is? To trust God to help you with that? 
Is it starting to give financially to God's work? To say, God, you have given me everything. And so I want to be faithful to give to your work. Is it, is it leaning into the special offering that we've got coming up here this month in May and saying, God, I'm going to step out in faith and trust you with the finances. What would you have me do? Is it starting to serve again? Is it using spiritual gifts that you know you have, but that have been put on the shelf for, I don't know how long. It's like, man, now is the time where I need to step out in faith and start using these gifts for the glory of God and, and in ministry around my church like I haven't done in a long time. Chapters 1 to 10, there's so much in here. It's been such a good study so far. Three big major takeaways that we've heard that we want to come back to and remind ourselves again here today and as we prepare to launch ahead. First, we are prone to forget. So please, Lord, have mercy upon us and forgive us when we forget. We need monuments to remember God's faithfulness. So what are the things in your life that are bringing you back to remember, to be reminded of God's overwhelming faithfulness? Finally, Bethel, step out in faith because God is with you.